something that makes me crazy is when people say, well, I had this career before, but it was a waste. And that's where the perspective shift comes, that it's not a waste that everything you've done has built you to where you are now. This is She Pivots, the podcast where we explore the inspiring pivots women have made and dig deeper into the personal reasons behind them. Join me, Emily Tish sussman every Wednesday on She Pivots. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Danielle Moody here, host of the Woke AF Daily podcast. We've been with iHeart for a year, and what a year it has been. As we head deeper into 2024 and yet another life-changing election cycle, Woke AF Daily is here to keep you sane and woke. Make Woke AF Daily your podcast destination for 2024 election news and analysis. Listen to Woke AF Daily Season 5 on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Tamika D. Mallory. And it's your boy, my son, the general. And we are your hosts of TMI. And catch us every Wednesday on the Black Effect Network, breaking down social and civil rights issues, pop culture, and politics in hopes of pushing our culture forward to make the world a better place for generations to come. Listen to TMI on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. That's right. How about them, Cowboys? That and so much more coming up right here on the Stephen A. Smith Show. Holla. First things first, this is about truth-telling. I have no agenda. I always have questions. What's the problem? That's just who I am. This is what No Mercy is all about. Hey, here I come. You can book it. Ah! This is the moment of a lifetime. The clock's ticking like my lifeline. Until I flatline, I push it to the red line. Who gonna stop me high? Who gon' stop me high? Rep taking a move that I make. I give it everything I got. Cause that what it takes. I push the limit till it break. The heart of the brave. The soul of a legend with the will to be great. Hold up. Welcome. <laughs> What's up, everybody? Welcome to the latest edition of the Stephen A. Smith Show, coming at you every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, at the very least, over the digital airwaves of YouTube. As usual, we're here in my studio, thanks to our to my official studio sponsor, FanDuel. FanDuel Sportsbook, the official studio sponsor of the Stephen A. Smith Show. By the way, let me just say thank you yet again, because I appreciate the love and support from all of my followers and subscribers. We're approaching 330,000 subscribers in the first six months as we speak. And I can't thank y'all enough. So keep the love coming and I'll keep on coming. Make no mistake about it. To like and follow the Stephen A. Smith show right here on YouTube. Just click the bell to get notified of all of our new content while you're at it, while you're doing all of that. Please don't forget to pick up a copy of my New York Times bestselling book, Straight Shooter, a memoir of second chances and first takes. As you know, because I told y'all this last week, um, I'm building a new studio. And at the end of the month, that studio will be completed. And so we'll basically revisit our regularly scheduled show where we'll be taking live callers and things of that nature. But until then, I won't be taking any live callers just for the next couple of weeks or so before I move into the new studio. I'll be taking your tweets and social media messages instead, and I'll be reading them and responding to them uh, for for, for uh purposes of just doing the show over the next two weeks. Remember, over the next couple of weeks, I'm transitioning from my home studio to a studio that I've built. So stay tuned for that. I think y'all will like the look. I think y'all will like the way it see you see it, the whole ambiance and all of that stuff that comes with it. I'm Stephen A, baby. Trust me. I ain't gonna let you down. I ain't gonna let you down. Anyway, let me get right to it because we all know where I'm starting off today. We all know where I'm starting off today, right? The Dallas Cowboys. I can't help it. I really, really wish that I didn't have to do this. I really, really wish that I didn't have to tell you how sorry and and pathetic that they were this past Sunday evening. Sunday night football, to be exact, against the San Francisco 49ers. They got beat down and bum-rushed 42-10. to Brock Purdy looking like the second coming of Joe Montana. Dak Prescott looking like anything but. Dallas got punked on both lines of scrimmages as far as I'm concerned. And clearly one quarterback outclassed the other and you know who that quarterback was. I'm going to tell you this because I take no pleasure in saying this. 
as it pertains to the Cowboys, because at some point in moment in time, you got to have a little compassion. Now, I know you're just, it's going to shock you to hear that coming from me, because I do consider the Dallas Cowboy fan base to be the most disgusting, disgusting, nauseating fan base in American history. I can't stand a Cowboy fan. I mean, it affectionately, it's all in fun, all in love. Okay, well, everything that's going on in this world today, we don't need to be acting like this real hatred as it pertains to this sports podcast and beyond, by the way, sports plus entertainment and beyond. But bottom line is this. I do like seeing Cowboy fans miserable. I do think they're delusional. I do think they're off their rocker. I do think they're nauseating and disgusting because they could go one in 15 or three or one in 16 in this day and age with 17 regular season games. They could sit up there and go three and 14. The season could end at 7 p.m. And by 7.15, they like this. You know, we're going to win the Super Bowl next year, right? Yeah, that's what they say every year. And every year they're coming up short. And every year they're getting their ass kicked. But rarely have you seen an ass kick in the likes of what we've seen or what we saw, rather, Sunday night. It was pretty bad. And there was a lot of bad performances that took place But when you take into account what we saw from the Cowboys, it was just utterly embarrassing. And there's no way around it. And there's no way to escape it. I'm just looking at my stats here. I'm just looking at a couple of things. Just let me read some of this stuff off to you. In the loss to the 49ers on Sunday night, that dropped the Cowboys to 0-3 versus San Francisco dating back to the 2021 postseason. And in that span, these are Dak Prescott's numbers. He's been sacked nine times. He's been intercepted six times. He's thrown just three touchdown passes. And he's led Dallas to a grand total of 39 points. 39 points in three games. They're averaging 13 a game. That's pathetic. This is a team last year that was averaging 29 a game. This year, they're struggling offensively. Now, since returning from his thumb injury in week seven of last season, Dak Prescott has 18 interceptions in 16 games. 18 interceptions in 16 games. His third career game with three interceptions, that was was Sunday night. The first two also came against championship contenders, 2017 versus the Philadelphia Eagles, who ended up winning that Super Bowl, and 2019 versus the Green Bay Packers, who had gone to the NFC Championship game. If you're going to make your money, if you're going to be that dude, if you're going to be that person that the Dallas Cowboys invest in long term, you're the Dallas Cowboys. Dak Prescott's got to do better. He's only accounted for five touchdowns in five games this year. 18 quarterbacks have more this season. I'm just giving you the numbers because I keep receipts. Do you know that the Dallas Cowboys didn't make a single trip to the red zone in the entire game last night? Not a single trip to the red zone. First downs, 49ers, 25, Cowboys, 8. Time of possession, 49ers, 37, Cowboys, 23. Dallas is averaging 5.2 fewer offensive points per game with Mike McCarthy calling plays now that Kellen Moore is in Los Angeles calling plays for the Los Angeles Chargers. And speaking of Kellen Moore, do you know that the Dallas Cowboys play them in L.A., Monday Night Football, a week from tonight? In all likelihood, I'll be there. I'll be there for that one. I'm going to shock you by what I'm about to say. Because I think it's over for Dak Prescott. You see, he's going to be, he's going to count against the Dallas Cowboys cap by about $60 million. He's going to be a $60 million cap hit if they don't make a new deal with him. In order to get a new deal with him, you know he's going to want to raise. This is the dude that had it, that won about one playoff game at the time and still ended up signing a mega deal and getting $75 million in year one, $95 million in the first two years. That Prescott going to want his money. And if you're the Dallas Cowboys, the only way to lower the cap hit is to negotiate a new deal with them, which would call for you to pay him more than the 40 plus million he's getting paid now per year. I don't know if the Cowboys are going to do that. I think this is the end for Dak Prescott. And having said all of that, I'm going to venture into a different realm that nobody expected me to. I'm going to go a place nobody expected me to go. I'm going to call for a little compassion when it comes to Dak Prescott. If you recall, ladies and gentlemen, and I'm not joking about this, I'm dead serious about this. Obviously, he has spoken on some mental health challenges he's had particularly in the aftermath of losing his brother a few years back and how he's going through some things mentally and emotionally. 
And when you look at the state of affairs in Dallas, let's call it what it is. The Cowboy fans have given up on Dak Prescott. After Sunday night's performance against San Francisco, they'll never believe in him. They'll hope. They'll pray. But they, they're not going to believe. They're not going to have, quote unquote, expectations. You're going to look at this defense, even without Trayvon Diggs, who's out for the season. And you're going to look at Stephon Gilmore. You're going to look at Van Der Escher. You're going to look at Micah Parsons, that stud, and Demarcus Lawrence and the rest of the crew. And you're going to be like, this defense can show up. This defense can handle their business. You ain't going to think that about the offense. You're not going to think that. And so to me, the city of Dallas has given up on Dak Prescott. And they've given up on Dak Prescott because the belief is, we don't know this definitively because they'll never admit it, but the belief is the defense has given up on Dak Prescott. And so what I don't want to do is pile it on. I know the brother can play. He's not a scrub. He's just somebody that doesn't show up in big moments. When the moment calls for it, when the moment counts, when the moment calls for greatness, particularly from your leaders, Dak Prescott is nowhere to be found. Oh, you can find him afterwards because he's an excellent interview. If you're the Dallas Cowboys, always says the right things, never provides bulletin board material. There's nothing exciting about his verbiage. And what he, what, he, what he chooses to articulate. But in the end, what it comes down to is this. I think he's done in Dallas. And I think the Dallas Cowboys have to entertain trading Dak Prescott. Quick, fast, and in a hurry. I really do. If you're not going to trade him now, trade him in the offseason. But you're going to have to move him. Because what Dak Prescott has shown, and there is no way around this, Dak Prescott is not worth $50 million a year, but he's going to command that based on the market and the franchise he's playing for. Remember, it's the Dallas Cowboys that's worth $9 billion. It's the average NFL team that's worth $5 billion. Yeah, the Washington Commanders may have sold to Josh Harris for over $6 billion, and the Denver Broncos were sold for about $4.6 billion, but the average NFL franchise is worth about $5.1 billion. Dallas is worth $4 billion billion dollars more than the average NFL franchise. They got the money, but damn it, it's a hard salary cap. And they ain't going to sit up there and compromise the health and the wealth of their team moving into the future in order to take care of Dak Prescott. They ain't going to do it. They ain't going to do it. And so because that's the reality, you got to move them. You got to move them. I'm not saying do it during the season, but when he lose, because he will lose. Because Dallas ain't winning no damn Super Bowl. The fact is, when that happens, you're going to have to make a decision. And you're going to have to move from beyond them. Because I'm looking at quarterbacks right now. And let me tell you something right now. For the quarterbacks who've gotten paid, I'm not saying they're not worth it. But Joe Burrow got paid. You see how he's struggling. Lamar Jackson got paid. $260 million over five years. $135 million guaranteed. Other guarantees coming into consideration could escalate to $185 million. Lamar Jackson leading the league in turnovers in the fourth quarter. He's got like 11 since 2021. I mean, come on, you got to protect the football. And I saw Nelson Aguilar drop a touchdown pass. I saw Bateman drop a touchdown pass. I also saw Lamar Jackson commit two turnovers in the fourth quarter. Yet again. But he got paid. Russell Wilson get paid in Denver. How much of a difference is that making? How much? I'm just wondering. Inquiring minds want to know. Because it doesn't seem to make much sense to me. So you got Russell Wilson getting paid. You got Lamar Jackson getting paid. We see it. We got Joe Burrow getting paid, even though Joe Burrow is a stud, and I think he'll be just fine, especially after they went over Arizona on Sunday. Deshaun Watson getting paid. But running backs ain't. Now, the exception is Jonathan Taylor for the Indianapolis Colts. They just got about $26.5 million guaranteed. From the Indianapolis Colts, which kind of doesn't make any sense because why would you refuse to pay him in the offseason, but they capitulate and give him this dough when Zach Moss, his replacement, his reserve, is balling out in his first few games of the year? 
The only thing that I could surmise is that you got two running backs. You don't overutilize them. As a result, you don't wear them down through attrition and all the stuff. And as a result, you're able to move one of them when it's time and make sure you get some equitable compensation for their services. But if you're going to sit up there and hold running backs accountable, no matter what their level of production is, you don't want to pay them. How are you going to turn around and then say, nah, nah. We're not going to pay them, but we're going to pay the quarterbacks, but we're going to ignore their absence of production. I can assure you Jerry Jones is not going to do that. He's not going to do it. And I'd be remiss in neglecting to talk about the Dallas Cowboys without talking about the San Francisco 49ers. They're the best team in the NFL. As of this moment right here, right now, the San Francisco 49ers should be the favorite to win the Super Bowl. Brock Purdy is balling out. Nine touchdowns, not a single interception. Completing over 72% of his passes. Balling. Debo Samuels, Brandon Ayuk, Christian McCaffrey's the league MVP candidate, ladies and gentlemen. This brother's something special. They're 15-0 in San Francisco since Christian McCaffrey arrived in the regular season. 15-0. And and they're 10-0 in every game that Brock Purdy has started at quarterback. I mean, it's amazing to see. And their defense is legit. It's number one in the NFL. I think it's like number two in yards allowed. Nick Bosa and the crew. Oh, my Lord. This, this brother, Warner, Fred Warner. Lord, have mercy. He's something special. The San Francisco 49ers are the team to beat. They don't drop their guard. A lot of teams should be able to run and do their thing right up until they run into San Francisco. Philadelphia Eagles could be the exception, but I don't like what I'm seeing from the Eagles in the red zone. They got to the red zone six times against the Los Angeles Rams on Sunday. They only made it there twice. I'm worried. I really, really am. I'm just looking at it and breaking it down. Philadelphia Eagles, I need to see more from them. I just do. Now they won 22 of the 23 starts Jalen Hurts has had behind center. Sunday was a good day because they converted about 72% of their third downs, which was great. And they ranked second and third down offense this season. So we know the Eagles are efficient there. But in the red zone, only two touchdowns and six trips. They ranked 27th in the NFL in red zone, TD percentage at 42%. 18 touchdowns and 19 red zone trips. By the way, defensively, They're third worst in red zone defense, allowing touchdowns on 75% of opponent red zone possessions. So guess what? That plays right into San Francisco's hands, even though they play in Santa Clara. Don't get me started with that. But the San Francisco 49ers, they're stout defensively. They're efficient offensively. I can't see how anybody is better than the San Francisco 49ers at this particular moment in time. Only thing that makes sense to me is if San Francisco were to go against Miami, as potent as Miami's offense is, but I would have felt a lot better about that had Miami not gone to Buffalo and gotten blown out about eight days ago, 48 to 20. So if Buffalo's defense could do that to Miami, why can't San Francisco's defense do that to Miami? These are all storylines. All storylines that can't be ignored. Make no mistake about it. But I'm paying attention because when I look at the Dallas Cowboys, and again, piggybacking off the angle that I brought up about having some compassion for Dak Prescott, you know, Kellen Moore, the offensive coordinator for the Dallas Cowboys last year, who's now in Los Angeles doing the same job for the Chargers, they were a top four team in red zone efficiency. They did average 29.1 points per game. I'm looking at this stuff under McCarthy. When Kellen Moore was there, the three years, the Cowboys ranked a collective fourth in the NFL with 378 offensive yards per game. But this year, with McCarthy calling the plays, they've diminished to, to, to middle of the pack. They ranked 16th in the league with 327 offensive yards per game. 51 yards less per game. And the Cowboys only have nine offensive touchdowns in five games this season. 18 teams have more than them this year. What do you want me to say? See, if Dak Prescott ends up losing 
out on remaining a Dallas Cowboy. As far as I'm concerned, so should Mike McCarthy. You wanted to, to, to be the offensive play caller. You wanted to take the responsibility out, the, out of Kellen Moore's hands. You wanted to spell for the defense because you, even though y'all were scoring points, they weren't getting enough rest because you were scoring in bunches and you were scoring quickly. I'm just saying. I'm just looking at it right now and I'm like, yo, they got problems. They got problems. Tweet at me at Stephen A. Smith. That's where you can send your messages to me for now, whether it's Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter slash X now, as opposed to Twitter. That's the route you need to go to. For future reference, 888-SAS-5303. That's 888-727-5303. That's the number to call into the Stephen A. Smith Show. Again, I'll get to your calls down the line within the weeks to come. I'm transitioning from my old studio to my new studio. And that's why I'm sitting here talking to you right now. I'm not going to be doing too many lengthy podcasts until then. I move into my studio because I want to have built my own show. And that's what I'm doing. So I appreciate your patience and understanding in that regard. And hopefully once I move in there, we won't have some of the technical difficulties we have had um, in previous weeks. So I'm just looking forward to moving on forward. Anyway, before I get back, there's a few things that I want to get into. Um, One of those things is going to be Deion Sanders and what he had to say about his team. Another thing is going to be some pop culture. Joe Budden and Drake himself getting into it. I got all of that to touch on and more. So don't touch that dial. Stick around. Stay tuned. You're listening live to the Stephen A. Smith Show. Back with more in a minute. This is the moment of a lifetime. The clock's ticking like my lifeline. Until I flatline, I push it to the red line. Who gonna stop me high? Who gonna stop me high? Wonderful win. Play like hot garbage. You know, I'm trying to figure this out. Sick of it. I really am. I'm, I'm sick of uh, us coming out here and putting forth the effort we put forth in the first half. We've, we've flipped practices. We've, we've had really uh, diligent meetings, and we're trying to figure this out. Trying to figure this out because I'm sick of it. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm, I'm happy about the win, but I'm not happy in the fashion that we, we wanted in. We're better than that. We really are better than that, and uh, we got to start showing that. I'm, I'm a, I expect to win, and I expect to win in a better fashion than that. I'm, I'm sick of these consistent holes that we're displaying and the, the penalties and the, the things that we're doing. We're so much better. I apologize for, for my anger today, but I don't accept mediocrity. Maybe you do. Maybe you can live with it. Maybe you sleep with it. Maybe you lie with it. Maybe you're comfortable with it, but I'm not. Welcome back to Stephen A. Smith's show right here over the digital airwaves of YouTube. That was the head coach for the Colorado Buffaloes. Primetime himself, the one and only Deion Sanders. They improved to four and two on the season after winning their first three games. They got shellacked by Oregon, ranked number 10 in the nation at the time. But then obviously uh, they lost to Caleb Williams and USC, even though they put up a fight for that one. Um, They squeezed by Arizona State 27-24. And obviously primetime Deion Sanders was not happy about it because it's a game they should have run away with. It shouldn't have been nearly as competitive as it was. Um, And he wanted to send a message. I've known this man for a long time. Shador Sanders, his son, is the star quarterback for the team, completing about 72% of his passes. He's thrown 16 touchdowns on the season, only two interceptions. The brother is something special. Make no mistake about it. Okay? Uh, 2,020 yards already in his first six games. So give him love and credit. Give Shiloh Sanders, Deion Sanders' other son, a boatload of credit. He's leading the league in tackles as a safety on the defensive side of the ball. But the reality is, is that when you looked at what happened at Oregon when they were down 35 to nothing, when you look at the 27-7 deficit they were down at USC, they looked like they couldn't stop a cold. And if you're Deion Sanders, you're getting frustrated because you got to send a message to these kids. Don't get too damn comfortable. Now, Shador Sanders is special. I don't like when he's all showing the watch all the time and all of that stuff, because I think it's about how, how you know, how, how flashy the watch is, you know. 
And, and I think that's what that's about. And so you you always want to be careful about that, especially in a sport like football. You don't want to make yourself an additional target with the bodies that could be put on you as physical as football is. It ain't like you're in a boxing ring or you're in the octagon in the UFC and you squaring up against an opponent fair and square. You throw in that football, somebody come from the backside, they could do anything to you. So I think it's those kind of things that you got to think about when you think about the game of football and how to play it and how you're supposed to conduct yourself on a football field. I love him. I love his style. I love his pizzazz. I, I love the swag. I love all of that. I'm just saying they ain't undefeated. We saw what happened against Oregon and USC. And so did primetime. And I think that's why you see primetime sending that kind of message. And it's the kind of message all of these kids need to receive these days. It really, really is. If you're Colorado, you're four and two. You got a defense that's given up. What is it here? I'm looking at the numbers here. Right here, it's given up 30. What is it? 34.2 points per game. Ladies and gentlemen, that's 122nd out of 133 teams. That's horrible. And primetime knows it. And so as a result, you got to let cats know, look, this is what I expect from you. This is what I need you to do. This is what I need you to focus on or what have you. Yeah, you know, the bright lights have come on. First take came to, came to town. They did the show live from our campus. We on live national television. We on, we, we, we on national, te- national network television when we play USC. Okay? Never mind when we played Oregon and we got shellacked. That was also nationally televised. We're getting shine that we never got before. Remember last year, they were 1-11. 1-11. Year before that, they were 4-8. and eight. Year before that, it was COVID. They were 4-2. and two. Year before that, they were 5-7. and seven, Three consecutive previous years. This is not a school that is accustomed to winning when it comes to football for quite a long time. But Deion Sanders has changed the culture. He's definitely provided the shine, the notoriety. But with that comes an elevated level of responsibility. And that's a bigger subject for another day. Everybody wants to shine. Everybody wants the notoriety. Everybody wants all of that. But what kind of work are you willing to put in in order to get it? What kind of results are you prepared to produce in order to be worthy and deserving of it? These are the kind of things that Deion Sanders is saying when he went off and he called them hot garbage. And I don't blame him one bit. I don't blame him one bit. Because when you can't stop a cold, that puts more pressure on your offense to produce. Because defensively, you can't do a damn thing against an opponent. And that's what's going on here. If they played better defense, they'd have had a chance against Oregon. If they played better defense, they'd have had a chance against USC. And as a result, guess what? Shador Sanders wouldn't be on the outside looking in at a potential Heisman Trophy award. Instead, he'd win it. But because Bo Nix outplayed them, because Caleb Williams outplayed them, because they had a defense that responded better to the challenge of an opposing offense than Colorado's defense does against opposing offenses, you have what you have. Deion Sanders is right. And sometimes that needs to be said. So much so, so much so, I'm going to play that sound for you again. So you can hear him repeat exactly what the hell he was trying to say. That's not just for his program. That's for a whole bunch of programs out there. They're kids for a reason because they don't know better. But you want to be pros, don't you? Be careful about the shine you covet. That spotlight might end up being a little bit too hot for you to take. Just a thought. Just a thought. Your tweets, your messages, and more coming up next. Plus, Joe Budden and Drake got into it. I mean, damn, Drake went in. What the hell am I talking about? I'll explain in a minute. Don't touch that dial. You're listening live, watching live. Stephen A. Smith Show, right here on YouTube. Back with more in a minute. This is the moment of a lifetime. The clock's ticking like my lifeline. Until I flatline, I push it to the red line. Who gon' stop me high? Who gon' stop me high? Welcome back to the Stephen A. Smith Show. Right here over the digital airwaves of YouTube. Coming at you at the very least every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. Uh, love being with you. Remember, uh, I'm transitioning now because within the next few weeks, I'll be moving into new studios. I've built my own studio. It'll be finished near the end of the month. And I can't wait 
for you to see it. I can't wait to be entrenched in there doing my show from there on a daily basis or at the very least, at least three times a week. Uh, let me transition to a story before I get on out of here for the day, because contrary to what you want to believe, I'm a peaceful individual. I understand the world that we're living in, you know, how you have to be critical and all of that stuff. But I'm talking about games. You know, what happens is, is that in my world, in the world of sports, there's winners and there's losers. Only one champion can be crowned. Now, if you suck, you suck. If you're good, but you're not great, that's another element. And we understand that just because you've lost doesn't mean you're a loser, because if you make it to the finals or you make it to the playoffs perennially or what have you, you know, that's the way that it goes. But at the end of the day, there are winners and there are those who are not. And when you are a champion, you are a champion. It is that simple. And that gets measured against everything and everybody else. In the NFL, for example, you've got a hard salary cap. So some people get paid, some people don't. In the NBA, you've got all of that. Plus, you've got marketing dollars and things of that nature. You have things are categorized in a way where there's a clear delineation between those who are successful and those who are not outside of just money. And that's sports. I've always found music to be a bit different. See, music, there's room for everybody. Taylor Swift has turned it out. She has been absolutely phenomenal. I went to her concert at SoFi Stadium in Los Angeles, California. I'm telling y'all right now, she was off the chain. And I've never been to a better concert in my life. But I'm no fool. I would never look you in the face and tell you that she's better than Beyonce in my eyes. But in the eyes of little kids everywhere, some of them may very well prefer her. See, there's room for everybody. There's no finite, definitive winner and loser in a place like music in my eyes. And I'm thinking about that because I'm thinking about what's going on with Drake and Joe Budden. Now, one could easily argue that Drake is on another is in another stratosphere. And that may be true. Drake does have 193 war awards on his resume, including five Grammy awards from 51 nominations. He has won a record 29 awards from 81 nominations at the Billboard Music Awards, including Artist of the Decade. Meanwhile, Joe Budden has two Grammy nominations, zero wins. But damn it, he was nominated for the Grammys twice. And I'm going to give him love for that. Drake clearly is on another level in this field. But Joe Budden was there. And as far as I'm concerned, he's a brother to be respected. I say all of that to say that Drake and Joe Budden have been going at it for a while. Um, I don't recall when the timeline began. I think it was somewhere around 2016, if I remember correctly. Um, they've been going at it for a while. 2016, the pair first clashed after Joe Budden criticized Drake's fourth album entitled Views. Well, if you're Drake, you're thinking here he goes again because Joe Budden just criticized his latest, uh, Drake's latest new album for all the dogs on a recent podcast episode the joe budden podcast before i even get into it any further i'll let you know and to elaborate on what i'm talking about listen to joe budden talking about drake's latest album for all the dogs listen to what he had to say and what forced drake or compelled drake rather to react the way that he did listen up what is the last memorable hook you've heard from drake even when he used to do features it was his dominant hook. Mm -hmm. I haven't heard a dominant hook from Drake in a long time. That's a good point. So now you couple that with he don't he don't rap the way that he stay scheming, take care, views five a.m. That yeah. if you're reading this, this is so awful. far gone. Even some of the shit that was on, uh, what was that, Scorpion? Uh, More Life? What was that? One of them shits. This, this is like Yachty rapping. This is like he rapping for the children. And that's my, yo, dog, I had to look up how old this nigga was when I finished listening to the album. Mm -hmm. You are 36. 
Your birthday is in 20 days. I Googled that too. You will be 37 years old. Get the fuck away from some of these younger niggas and stop fucking these 25-year-olds. So you can see where Joe Budden was coming from. You can see how he felt. But I didn't expect Drake to go back at him like this. Ladies and gentlemen, did you see what Drake said, what he wrote underneath, uh, what is it, Academics Post? Some dude named Academics at Academics, A-K-A-D-E-M-I-K, apostrophe S, Academics. This is what Drake wrote under that post. Quote, addressed directly to Joe Budden, you have failed at music. You left it behind to do what you're doing in this clip because this is what actually pays your bills. For any artist watching this, just remember you are watching a failure give their opinion on his idea of a recipe for success. A quitter give their opinion on how to achieve longevity. You switched careers because the things that pop into your brain had you broke living check to check. And the raps you write had 450 men showing up to your shows in dusty NC jeans to screw up their face to mood music 29 and pretend you are the goat. Well, damn. Damn. That was a bit harsh. To say the least. Drake didn't stop. They also offered advice to artists saying that they should do what they feel is right, regardless of what others think. Quote, please, to any artist that's doing what they feel is right, don't let these opinions affect your mindset after the fact. This guy is the poster child for frustration. That's what he's talking about with Joe Budden. Poster child for frustration and surrendering. You retired and we never hung up your jersey. We don't even remember your number. We know you for doing this. You withdrew from rap now because you accomplished all you need to. It's because it wasn't working for you. And Drake continued even more. I never want anybody in the generations to think that the whole everybody's entitled to their opinion is a real thing. This is a man projecting his own self-hate and the fact I did and continue to do everything he wanted to do for himself. If you need to put it in simpler terms, I own a 767. He owns a modest house in the 973 area code and flies first class on special occasions. Damn. Damn. This was a hard one for me because, number one, I got a lot of love for Drake, the artist. I think he's sensational. I'm a huge fan of Drake's. And I, I, I love his personality as well. He's incredibly talented. I loved seeing him host the SBs years ago. I love seeing him come on first take. I love seeing him at the Toronto Raptors games, rooting on his team, all of that stuff. Drake is a real one. Drake is special, no doubt. But I got a lot of respect for Joe Budden. Now, he's no Drake when it comes to you know, success in the music industry, Drake's a billionaire. We get that. Um, but when you look at Joe Budden, um, whatever way you can make it, you make it. And sometimes you just, there's certain things that you don't want to do. Sometimes you find your calling in different other areas in different other arenas. And I get all of that. I will say this though, you know, if you Joe Budden and that's the lane you used to be in and you see somebody is successful as Drake, it's not really much to critique there. Like saying that he's rapping and writing for the kids. Well, who the hell is Taylor Swift doing it for? How she makes six billion on tour? I'll tell you how, because little kids know every lyric of every song. And that's why anybody in today's generation, and this is where Joe Budden lost me. I'm not, I'm not getting into him and Drake, I want them to come together peacefully and not be enemies, okay? That's what I want. But I'm not going to be a hypocrite because I swear to God, I'm telling y'all right now, there's some cats in my industry. Oh, I'm itching. I, 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 it's taking everybody. I'm scratching preventing myself from going at their asses. Really, I am. Because I'm up here in this industry. And I don't need to go down there. But I'm tempted because that's where I'm from. And I know that lane. And I really, really, really want to. I really do. But then I got loved ones. 
who advise me and people who look up to me who expect better from me. And they be like, Stephen A, don't do it, don't do it, don't do it. And so I contain myself. But trust you me, oh yeah, I understand exactly where Drake was coming from because Drake is addressing somebody who used to do what he's doing. That's all I'll say about that part. And that's for Joe Budden and Drake to handle. But as it pertains specifically to Joe Budden's or claims about him making music for kids or whatever, it's like, who cares that he's 36 going on 37? Who cares that the music is for a younger generation? Who he's hooking up with and how old they are, as long as they're consenting adults, is none of our business. So I'm not going there, Joe Budden. But I will say this, no matter how old we are in this day and age, the targeted demographic is always younger folks. 25 to 49 demographic is very, very appealing in the world of advertising. But nobody is more coveted than the 18 to 34 demographic. And anybody who gravitates and ingratiates themselves to that demo, usually it translates into success. So the fact that Drake is in his late 30s and is still appealing to those younger souls Props to him. Props to him. Ain't nothing to throw any shade on about that. That's just smart business. And if you're going to put in work, why not be a businessman or a woman while you're doing it? Why not make that money? Joe Budden's got a very successful podcast. I'm quite sure it ain't successful just because he goes in front of the microphone and speaks and that's it. Joe Budden knows what the hell he's doing when it comes to ingratiating himself to an audience in the world of podcasting. He has a business acumen for it. And if that business acumen tells you what to target, when to target, and how it's going to be more profitable for you, you can't fault him for it. Well, if that's the case, you can't fault Drake for doing what Drake's doing. Cause I'll be there. I ain't gonna sit up here and lie to you and act like I didn't wish I didn't own. Like I don't wish I I owned a seven sixty seven. Oh hell yes, I wish I did. Let me be the first to say it. I'm not one for the perks. Believe it or not, ladies and gentlemen, I don't want stuff for free. You got people working their ass off all the time, working hard, put you know putting their head head to the ground, getting on their grind, doing what they got to do. They need money too. They don't need offering somebody else's their services for free. I get that part. But if there's two perks that I love more than anything in this world, more than anything in this world, on the rare occasion that it comes my way, I absolutely positively despise standing in line for anything. It could be a nightclub. It could be a restaurant. It could be anything. It could be me at the store trying to buy something. If I, the longer I got to stand in line, the more probable it is that I'm going to drop everything and just walk out because I can't stand standing in line. I hate that. The other thing is the occasional luxury that I'm able to achieve when I go on a private jet. It's rare. It ain't all the time. It ain't most of the time. But on a rare occasion in my life, when I've been on a private jet, it is the one perk. In my time, not a mansion, not a huge home, not some penthouse apartment, not fancy cars, not vacation trips around the world. The one perk that I wish I had unadulterated, uninhibited, without a concern or worry in the world. Is to never have to fly commercial again in life because I fly private all the time. That's what I wish I could do. I will never, ever, ever in this life feel like I've made it until I can afford to fly, to fly private at all times. Until that day comes, I ain't make it nowhere. I got my head to the ground. I'm on my grind. I'm doing what I got to do. That's my life. That's the life that I live. That's what I deal with. Drake owns a 767. He didn't have to go far that far with Joe Budden in the first class occasion. That was kind of low. But obviously they got a rivalry. They got something going on and 
it's messing with Drake and he felt the need to speak up and defend himself or whatever the case may be. You come out with a new album for the first time in a while after people have been clamoring for you to come out with an album. And the first thing you hear is a criticism from a guy that you've heard criticism from before. I get it. And if you Drake, you're going to take it personally because I'm looking at some of Drake's numbers here. He sold over 170 million records worldwide. Has achieved 11 number one albums on a Billboard 200 and 12 hits on a Billboard Hot 100. Billboard named him as, quote, artist of the 2010s decade and the 16th greatest artist of all time. He's earned 107 top 100 hits. I'm sorry, top 10 hits. 107 top 10 hits on a hot rap songs chart with 25 of the songs reaching number one. He also has five Grammy Awards, like I told you, with 51 nominations. He's won six American Music Awards from 34 nominations. Instagram followers. Drake has 143 million. Joe Budden has 1.7 million. Joe Budden doesn't doesn't have any Grammys. He's got two nominations. He has eight studio albums, two collaborative albums between 2003, 2016. In a 2018 article, Budden claims he still made $18,000 a year from his 2003 hit Pump It Up, which peaked at number 38 on the Hot 100. Uh, Budden's uh, debut album, Joe Budden, from 2003, sold 95,000 units in the first week and went on to sell over 420,000 copies in the U.S. Look, there's some people that never achieved what Joe Budden achieved. So ain't nobody here disrespecting him. I respect the hell out of Joe Budden. I've gotten to know him personally over the years because he's come on my sports shows and, and, and talk sports. And I've been on his podcast, which I enjoyed. Uh, Drake, statistically, numbers wise, dollars wise, is clearly on another level. It's just that simple. It's just that simple. But in the end, what it comes down to is Drake speaking up for himself, which he has every right to do. I'll be damned if I'm not tempted to a lot of times. And some, at some point in time, you get tired of people talking shit. People say the same thing about me. You know, I get tired of me talking shit. I'm not talking shit. I'm doing my job. Okay, trust you. When I'm not at work, I'm not thinking about you much, whoever that may be. Okay, but when I got a job to do, I'm going to do it. I'm a sports reporter. I'm a pundit. I'm a commentator who's now ventured into entertainment, pop culture, and, of course, politics. That's my life now. But I too try never to get personal. People's personal business is their business. This isn't personal. It's personal actually, but it's not their personal business. Talking about music and stuff like that. All I can say is that let's try to come together, y'all. They ain't got to shake hands, hug one another, kiss babies and all of that other stuff. But we got enough friction in this world. Let's not create somewhere none needs to exist. Even I had to accept and absorb that lesson because trust you me, like I said, I've been tempted. I've been tempted to get into quite a few motherfuckers asses. Excuse my language. But it's necessary because it came out like that because that's how tempted I've been. Then you got to bite your tongue. Or you got to make sure that when you speak. You speak in a manner. That's just basically addressing the situation for what it is as opposed to the added level of vitriol that comes with it. That's where I'm coming from with it. I hope y'all can see that. Before I get on out of here, let me go to some tweets because people have sent us some stuff and I want to make sure that I address it with the fervor that deserves. Philly sports guru, PHL sports guru, tweet, sleeper teams in the NBA this season. Hmm. I'd say that you have to keep your eyes. Um, They shouldn't be a sleeper, uh, but sleeper to me is somebody that's not in the contender picture, but can end up knocking off some folks, sneaking in there, doing what they got to do. I would tell you the Minnesota Timberwolves in the NBA. If Anthony Edwards truly elevates his level of play and they figure out how Carl Anthony Towns and Rudy Gobert could be on the court together, Minnesota can make some noise. They can knock off somebody. So I would tell you that. But for me personally, even though they got bounced out in the first round, the team I look at is the Sacramento Kings. De'Aaron Fox is that dude, y'all. It's the lone argument I got into with Magic Johnson in my entire life. I wanted him to draft De'Aaron Fox instead of Lonzo Ball. I respect the hell out of Lonzo Ball, but I knew De'Aaron Fox would be better, and he is. Now, partially is because he's healthier. 
And we wish Lonzo Ball nothing but the best. But De'Aaron Fox, that brother's something special. So let's get that out of the way first, okay? Let's make sure that I would tell you Sacramento, Minnesota in the West. I would tell you in the Eastern Conference in terms of a sleeper. Ooh. If I had to look at anybody, it would probably be Brooklyn. I don't think they have what it takes. I don't think they have enough personnel. But I think if praying, if Ben Simmons becomes relevant again and wants to help out Mikel Bridges and, and, and Cameron Johnson and those boys, I mean, I think they could do some things. I think Brooklyn could do some things. They can make this, this season interesting, to say the least. So that that's a team that I would throw out there. That's a team I would throw out there. Let's see. Let's go to your boy, Quit. K. Witt, your boy K. Witt, at your boy K. Witt. He writes, how do we feel about the Steelers after a nail-biting victory over the Baltimore Ravens? Not well. The offense sucks. Matt Canada, Matt Canada, the offensive coordinator, needs to be gone. He's been there long enough. He ain't the man for the job. Um, Kenny Pickett can play. I'm still not sold on him yet, but he can play. George Pickens, I know, can play. Um, Najee Harris, I know, can run with the football. Um, I think the Steelers have some weapons. Uh, but they're lucky they got T.J. Watt. He is sensational. He really, really is. He's that dude. He is that dude. With him and Micah Fitzpatrick and the rest of the crew, their defense is going to be solid, but their offense is just its not great. They're in first place by default because Lamar Jackson keeps turning the damn ball over and Joe Burrow's had that calf injury. And Deshaun Watson is not healthy either. But the Steelers in first place at a 3-2 and two record, that's by default. We all know that. But, hell, I'll take it because I'm a Steelers fan. Next question, Pan, at Pand Steelers, Pand S Steelers, P-A-N-D capital S Steelers. In five words or less, describe how you feel about the Cowboys in their season so far. Ha, 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 ha. <sighs> Living up to expectations. That's what I would say. Living up to expectations. See, a whole bunch of delusional Cowboy fans out there expect them to be Super Bowl champions. I expect them to be good enough to go to the postseason and then humbled by superior teams in the conference, whether that be San Fran, Philadelphia, or even Detroit on the come up. That's what I feel about the Dallas Cowboys. Living up to expectations. That's what I walk away with. Who writes this one? Judah underscore Katz, K-A-T-Z. Will we ever see Stephen A. in the celebrity game? What's holding you back? How about the fact that I'm 55? What kind of damn question is that? Well, how about the fact I'm 55 years old? By the way, I turned 56 this weekend. How about that? How about the fact that, you know what? I like the way my knees feel right now, and I don't want to agitate them moving forward. How about that? How about that? I love how people like to challenge Stephen A should play. Stephen A should do this. I'm 55. And by the way, I think I look pretty damn good to be 55, if I should say so myself. I got a little stamina. I've lost some pounds. I'm in decent shape. You might even see me in the tank, in the tank top in a few days. You never know with me. I ain't ashamed. You know, I've been working out for a reason. I've been getting myself in shape for a reason. That's true. But I'm not stupid enough to think I'm 25. Don't want to be 25. Not in this world. Wouldn't want to be this young to save my life. I'm glad I'm getting older. Hell, I wish I was 75. Because this world is jacked up. It's very stressful. You know, I'm older, but not old enough where I could see my grave and the coffin staring me in the face. Which means I got to live through some of the nonsense we're witnessing in this day and age. That's why I'm getting in shape, because you got to be in shape for it. Could I get on a basketball court the way my knees are feeling right now? Yeah, I could. But knowing me, I'll get on the damn basketball court, then I'll hurt my damn knee. It ain't worth it. But for celebrity game, step out there, drop about 30, you know, go home. My problem is I'd spend the next three weeks recovering because of the ice on my knees and everything. I don't know if I want to go through that, y'all. I don't know if I want to go through that. I'm sorry. I got to make business decisions. Okay? I'm sure you understand. Last question. At uh, Basuni, Basuni Corn, 
Some person named Shane, his Twitter handle is B-A-S-S-U-N-I-K-O-R-N, writes, thoughts on the Patriots situation? Time for a change? Sweep the roster and start new, or is there a higher up change? Is there a higher up change needed as well? Here's the higher up change that's needed. Owner Robert Kraft of the New England Patriots needs to call Bill Belichick into the office and say, your time as a GM is over. We know what a phenomenally great coach you are. You're a six-time champion as a head coach, eight-time champion overall because you want to as a defensive coordinator. We know what you bring to the table. But when it comes to personnel, I'm sorry, we got to move in a different direction because you've had ample opportunity to change this around. And quite frankly, we ain't satisfied with what we're seeing here. That's what I would say. And guess what? He's got the evidence. I'm looking for it now because I want to show it to you all because I want you to understand let me read to you some of the research that I had done on Bill Belichick. Back-to-back -back losses, he's been outscored 72 to 3. 72 to 3. Number one. Number two, Patriots. They've scored, they've committed twice as many turnovers as points scored. By the way, speaking about that Drake situation right now, Drake's worth is at approximately $250 million, just in case y'all care. But anyway, I digress. Let me get back to the New England Patriots here because this stuff is very, very alarming. And I don't know how much longer we can ignore this, to be quite honest with you, because I'm looking at it right now and I'm saying, my God, I didn't realize it was this bad, but it is this bad. Because the New England Patriots right now, they would be a laughing stock if anything about what they're going through is funny. Listen to this. Yesterday's 34 to nothing loss to the Saints. The Patriots only had 156 yards of offense, eight first downs, one third down conversion and 14 attempts and didn't reach the red zone once. They fell a one and four for the first time since 2000. Belichick's first season as head coach in New England. In 10 seasons as a head coach without Tom Brady as a starting quarterback. Belichick is 72 and 79 with two playoff appearances and a single playoff win. The back-to-back -back losses that he suffered 38 to three and 34 to nothing are the worst back-to-back -back losses in his 29 seasons as a head coach. That's what it's telling us here. Okay. And here's the other glaring thing that I wanted y'all to know. From 2000 to 2012, as Patriots head coach, Belichick drafted 10 players who went on to earn all-pro selections as Patriots, led by Tom Brady, Roger, Rob Gronkowski, Richard Seymour, Vince Wolfe, Cassante Samuel, etc. Since that time, dating back to 2013, Bill Belichick has only drafted two players who went on to earn all-pro selections as Patriots. One was a punter. The other was a punt returner. Jake Bailey and Marcus Jones, respectfully. That's it. If I'm Robert Kraft, I read that last stat to Bill Belichick. And I'd say I've given you a decade to build a roster, to have people in place who could perform. You clearly cannot do that. You are no longer the GM of this franchise. You can coach because I know there's nobody better. But you cannot be the GM of this franchise any longer picking personnel. And if Bill Belichick wants out, I would give him his walking papers because I got news for y'all, ladies and gentlemen. It, this is the fourth year, fourth season since Tom Brady has been gone. Where have they gone? They got to the playoffs once and they lost. They got shellacked by Buffalo. Where have they gone? Bill Belichick was paid. He didn't work for free. He was given power and authority. He pushed Tom Brady out the door. He wanted a success. He wanted to move on from the Tom Brady era. I'm sorry. If I'm the New England Patriots, this is it for Bill Belichick, unless he wants to just coach. I would never put, push him out the door for just coaching, but he does not need to be making personal decisions. Not after giving Mac Jones, Matt Patricia, and Joe Judge as offensive coordinators last year and play callers. That was a crime in and of itself. I'd be done with him. I'd be done. That's it for this edition of the Stephen A. Smith Show. Reminder to stick with me because um, in the weeks to come, uh, before the end of the month, I'll be moving into a new studio. We're transitioning from my home studio 
to our new studios. You'll see what I'm talking about in just a few weeks. So I built it myself. So I can't wait for you all to see it. I'll be doing my podcasts and shows from there in the future. That's why I built it. And I'm looking forward to doing it from there. Until that time, I'll be here. And as we're transitioning, the phone systems, we won't be utilizing that. We'll be taking messages and things of that nature. We'll be going from there. But don't you worry. I'm coming with something new, something fresh, and I can't wait. So stick around, stick with me, and I appreciate all the love and support that you've given me in this time. Thank you so much. Until next time, I'll see you probably around this Wednesday as well. It's the Stephen A. Smith Show signing off. Until later, peace and love, everybody. This has been a presentation of Cadence 13, an Odyssey company in association with Stephen A. Podcast Productions. Episodes of No Mercy are available now for free wherever you get your podcasts. Something that makes me crazy is when people say, well, I had this career before, but it was a waste. And that's where the perspective shift comes, that it's not a waste that everything you've done has built you to where you are now. This is She Pivots, the podcast where we explore the inspiring pivots women have made and dig deeper into the personal reasons behind them. Join me, Emily Tish sussman every Wednesday on She Pivots. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Danielle Moody here, host of the Woke AF Daily podcast. We've been with iHeart for a year, and what a year it has been. As we head deeper into 2024 and yet another life-changing election cycle, Woke AF Daily is here to keep you sane and woke. Make Woke AF Daily your podcast destination for 2024 election news and analysis. Listen to Woke AF Daily Season 5 on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Tamika D. Mallory. And it's your boy, my son, the general. And we are your hosts of TMI. And catch us every Wednesday on the Black Effect Network, breaking down social and civil rights issues, pop culture, and politics in hopes of pushing our culture forward to make the world a better place for generations to come. Listen to TMI on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. That's right. That's right.